Do you ever think about what companies do with the information they collect from you? From grocery stores to restaurants and even insurance companies, information about your personal habits is very coveted. Former United States Secretary of Homeland Security Michael Shirtoff answered our data and privacy questions, including why businesses are even interested in your fitness app data. Well, you know, uh, people say data is the new gold, and uh, there's enormous value in data. Recorded live at the 2019 Forum on Leadership, we talk about his book, Exploding Data, Reclaiming Our Cybersecurity in the Digital Age, and we also hear his unique perspective on America's strengths. I'm Andrew Kaufman, and this is The Strategist, presented by the George W. Bush Institute. What happens when you cross the 43rd president, late-night sketch comedy, and compelling conversation? The Strategist, a podcast born from the word strategery, which was coined by SNL and embraced by the George W. Bush administration. We highlight the American spirit of leadership and compassion through thought-provoking conversations. And we're reminded that the most effective leaders are the ones who laugh. At, we are at the Forum on Leadership, live, recorded live at the Forum on Leadership with Secretary Michael Chertoff, who is the second U.S. Secretary of Homeland Security, who is fresh off the Forum on Leadership Studio 43 session on technological transformations and threat. Secretary Chertoff, thank you so much for spending a few minutes with us in your busy day. Well, I'm glad to be on the podcast. And we're also being co-hosted today by Eva Chang, who is our Director of Evaluation and Research at the Bush Institute. Eva, who was also a part of the, that Transformations and Threats conversation, thank you for, for joining us today. Happy to be here. So, Secretary Chertoff, one of the first things that, is, that we interact with in our day is our electronic devices. We get up first thing in the morning, start playing with our phone, talk to our smart speaker, uh, make sure our watch is charged, what is, what is your thought on this transformation of information that we're seeing right now? Well, you know, people say data is the new gold. And uh, there's enormous value in data from two standpoints. One is, of course, sometimes as consumers of data, it gives us information about our health. It tells us what the news is. It allows us to check the weather. That's obviously all appealing. But also, our own personal data gets monetized. And it winds up being used not just to provide services to us, but it's actually resold or repackaged and used in order to allow people to market to us, which is why you get a lot of ads sometimes when you're online looking things up. And that has a certain amount of risk to it because as our data is aggregated, people get a granular view of how we live our lives, and that ultimately can threaten our freedom and our autonomy. So we've got to balance the benefits with the risks in producing that amount of personal data. So I heard, there, to me, there was almost a little bit of a leap there, as you say, where they're collecting data, and now it's going to impact our freedom and autonomy. Can you explain sure. how those two correlate? Um, I mean, we, we are generating data about where we are. We're generating data, if we're wearing like a health device, about how much exercise we're getting. Um, if we're searching online, we may be looking up a medical condition uh, for whatever reason, that may generate some belief that we are concerned about it. When we go to the grocery store, we're using a loyalty card to buy things. The grocery store now knows what we buy. If we charge um, a restaurant dinner and wine at a restaurant, that's generating data. 
increasingly insurers are asking us to put a device in our car that shows how we drive. I saw a commercial for that the other day. Now, all of this assume gets aggregated, um, either because it's all in the cloud or because it's sold. And now all of a sudden, uh, some private party has visibility into how much exercise you're getting, what you're eating, when you're eating, where you're driving, whether you had a glass of wine before you drove, and all of this is being packaged together. And at some point, what you'll hear, as you're already hearing, is, okay, um, I'm going to raise your premium or I'm going to lower your premium because of your, quote, lifestyle. And then it's a short distance to, hmm, should I eat at this restaurant or should I order this food? Or uh, my refrigerator is reporting that I have a lot of soda pop. Should I buy less soda or hide it in the basement? And you start to realize you're reacting to the consequences of making life decisions at a microscopic level. Now, to take this a step further, there was an article in the Washington Post just yesterday about an app that is being sponsored by employers in which female employees um, can record every detail of things relating to trying to get pregnant or their pregnancies. Everything from what they do to what their temperature is, how the fetus is moving, if they're trying to use fertility treatments, all of which is now of, on a, something that is hosted and available to employers. The argument that they make is, well, it's anonymized. The employer doesn't know who, who it is. But the reality is we've learned that it's pretty easy to de-anonymize with a few data points. Now, are we really interested in having the details of our sexual life available to our employer? And if the employer begins to take this into account in terms of promotions, for example, so-and-so is trying to get pregnant, maybe I don't want to give them a promotion, that starts to get you into some very, very bad stuff. So I'm not saying there isn't value to this. I think we need to understand, though, that the issue has become not can we keep the data hidden because it's hard to do. It's become who controls the data and what are our rights to say, no, you may or may not use our data for this purpose. Yeah, and Secretary Chertoff, you and I were comparing notes. You have an Apple Watch. I have a Garmin. I'm kind of obsessed with it. I watch my resting heart rate. It tells me if I feel maybe I'm getting sick, if it's rising, et cetera. Um, but basically, based on what you said, we don't have this figured out yet. Who owns this data? What control I have over it? So should I ditch my watch? Should you take your Apple Watch off? No, but I do think you have to. I do think there are two things we have to do. One is you have to be mindful. Um, you know, I'm basically happy to have my watch because I, I watch these things too. And there's nothing <clears throat> that I'm really concerned about with those. But um, I'd be mindful about what I search on my own device uh, in a search engine because I might have a perfectly innocent reason to search for something, but I'd have to say, well, would someone misinterpret this? So I might, for example, say, I'm going to search, I'm going to go to the hotel and search on the hotel device. Um, so you need to, to think a little bit about those things. But I also think we need to have what you now have in California and the Europeans have, which is a greater role for the law regulating what our rights are to control our data. What do we have to be given notice of? Um, do we have the right to port our data from one platform to another? And do they have to get affirmative permission before they put data to a use that is different from what we originally signed up for? Well, that brings us to the classic battle between regulation and open business. Where, how do you, where do you feel like the, the line needs to be drawn as far as where we can um, 
where we want to trust these companies versus where we want to start introducing legislation, not just with privacy, but also we get into artificial intelligence, which affects our self-driving cars, um, any number of other areas. Well, I, I think we need to, I mean, I, I understand that typically, like many people, I'm, I'm skip, skeptical of regulation, but look, there's a, an affirmative role for regulation. For example, uh, in the grocery store, by and large, you're confident you can eat what you buy because you know, there's a federal food and drug administration. If there wasn't, every time you bought food, you'd have to test it, and that would destroy the grocery business. So I think in this area, if there's not to be a tremendous backlash against the people who are giving us this service, they're going to have to have some reasonable regulation. And actually, Exhibit A of this is Mark Zuckerberg, I think, has come out now and finally said, look, we need to have some regulation, partly because you don't want to have overreaction. You want to find the right balance between giving people power over their data, but not hampering innovation to the point that you no longer can can actually ex get the benefits. Yeah, I think that balance is critical because as a private citizen, I'm nervous about my data. But in my day job, I'm a researcher. So data is my bread and butter. So we have to find that balance between regulation, but still having availability of data to answer important questions. And you think we can strike that balance? You think we can come to a political agreement to do that? Well, I, I, I don't want to hazard whether we can come to a political agreement, <laughs> but I do think there is a balance to be struck that it has to do with, first of all, giving people the ability to understand what data is being held and what purpose it's being used for. Second, to have be, be given an affirmative choice. Do you consent to this? And third, where you're dealing with a data holder that is essentially a monopoly because of the network effect. Um, it's got to be a real choice. So if, the, if your refusal to allow your data to be transferred means that you can't use the service, that's not really a choice. They've got to offer you an alternative route. Now, that may be paying a fee, and that's fair you, that you pay a, a subscription fee, but it's got to be a real choice. It shouldn't just be about you have to surrender your freedom. And so you have a book out, Exploding Data, which really covers a lot of these issues. And one of the th one of the correlations that you draw is that, or that you find interesting in it, is that there's a privacy issue in your neighborhood. Like you don't want you don't want an invasion of privacy in person, but people don't necessarily have that same correlation online. How do you think we can raise awareness of of some of the things that are happening around us in this world? Well, I think you know one of the things that's happened recently is you see more and more news stories about things online that threaten privacy. So you had the Cambridge Analytica scandal, and, and that's an example of a case where data was being held. Uh, it, access was given <clears throat> to a third party. The third party apparently misrepresented what they were going to do with the data, and it wound up being a tool for micro-targeting by malign groups that wanted to interfere with our electoral process. And I think that got a lot of attention on Capitol Hill. And I, and I think it may have gotten some attention from the public. I think the story I just mentioned about an app that records every detail of your sexual behavior in pregnancy, people will scratch their heads and say, why do I want to do this? Um, and it's usually presented as, oh, this is a favor for you. It's going to help you monitor your health. But there's a saying in Silicon Valley, if the service is free, you're the product. Exactly. And it's... And I, I know I don't think about it too much, and I use devices all the time. Like I have, I've been riding my bike recently, so my my watch or my 
devices know that on mile eight, my heart rate went really high. And that's, you know, I used to be able to get to mile 12 before that happened. Right. And so now my, so I'm a little out of shape now. What, what, what now are people going to extrapolate from that? And you don't think about it. You're just like, I just want to know how, how fast I'm riding. Right. And, and could we see a day at some point that the insurance company that carries your health insurance says, I'm raising your premium because you've gotten out of shape. Now, some people would say, that's great. It's healthy for you. But I think most freedom-loving people believe, yes, it, you, in a world in which somebody told you everything you could do, you should be able to do, while that might make you healthier, it would also be an unfree world. And I think maybe what we'll also need are rules about the extent to which your premiums can be affected by those considerations. You know, I'll give you an example. After lie detector tests were developed, eventually there was a law passed that said for private companies cannot use lie detectors, except in a very few narrow areas, because there was a concern that they were not reliable, but they would be abused. So, I mean, that may be part of what we need to look at, is what consequences can an employer attach, for example, to your health or things of that sort. So what tips do you have for people that are concerned about their privacy? Let's say we've heard this conversation, like, oh, I, I do want to monitor what I'm doing. What tips can we do today? So I think, um, you know, my, my main message is be mindful. Um, as I say, I use a health uh, device. Um, I do things online. Um, I purchase things online. But I'm, I'm always thinking to myself, okay, what am I getting out of this and what am I giving up? And to me, that addresses at least a good deal of the problem. The biggest problem is the unthinking uh, signing up for things where you just on a whim sign up for something you don't realize you're getting a lot of data generated. And sometimes I'll go onto a site and it'll say we use cookies, you have to consent, and I'll get off the site because it's not worth it for me to have my, my things tracked. Right, and and because in, in Britain they've got the GDPR now, Correct. which is has started introducing some of this legislation before the U.S. has. Right. Um, do you think the U.S. is moving in that direction? I next? think we are for a couple of reasons. First of all, California's already done it. And they've taken it, you know, pretty far. And now I think a lot of the platforms are saying, oh, boy, we better get federal legislation that we can live with before it goes way far in the other direction. It puts us out of business. And I even was up testifying on the Hill, uh, you know, in the last year, and there was increased interest in doing something along these lines. So I do think we're going to see something. I wouldn't want to see it be draconian. I'd want to see it strike a balance between fairness to the consumer, but not becoming overly bureaucratic or hampering innovation. And one of the things you brought up in your book is, um, to people my age, this feels like a new issue. But we've had technological changes, and that law has to keep up with it. So it's not all negative. Can you talk about some of these positive things that are coming as a result of this? Yes. Well, I mean, one example is, uh, you know, we've been through technological revolutions before. Uh, when you look at um, the history of the, of the law in this country, originally privacy was all about property. Did someone go into your house or go into your personal stuff? And then we developed photography and telephones, and we started to get wiretapping, or people would take your photograph and misuse it for marketing purposes. And when people complained, the initial reaction was, you're out of luck. Unless someone went into your house or went into your bag, you didn't have your privacy invaded. 
And what the courts and the, and the legislatures eventually recognized is there's another value here. It's not just about your property. It's about your interest in confidentiality. And I think we're at the point now that we ought to recognize there's a value here, which is your interest in not having data out of your control, even when it's been generated in a way that's legitimate. So, Secretary Shirtoff, on a totally different subject, you're the, you were the Secretary of, Home, of Homeland Security. You're, you've been out of the position for a little while now. How, how well do you sleep at night? Um, well, you know, I, I, look, I have a lot of confidence in the Department of Homeland Security and the government in terms of keeping us safe, um, and particularly with respect to the kind of global terrorist threat we've worried about. But I'll be honest and say that we're living in a time when I think we're seeing an increasing threat from individuals um, either being radicalized or being ideologically inspired to go out and commit terrorist acts. Now, the, the scale of these is not going to be like a 9-11, thank God. But, you know, you see cases where people get killed. There was a case recently, I think they stopped somebody who was going to drive around Maryland in a car and try to run people over. Some of these are, you know, what we've seen before, the jihadi, violent jihadi terrorists. Some of it are extreme right-wing terrorists, um, like the fellow who shot up this, the synagogue in Pittsburgh or the, in New Zealand. Um, so we're entering a time now when I think increasingly because of some social unrest um, and frankly because people get um, man manipulated using social media, we're going to see more unpredictable small-scale violence. And we need to adapt ourselves to be able to respond and suppress that. Is that at odds with when we're, when we're looking at privacy um, and so much of this communication is happening on social media, are these issues now at odds in, in legislation? Well, ironically, I would say this. I would say if there's ever a, a compelling case for pushing back a little bit on pure privacy, it's to save people's lives. I have less sympathetic for invading privacy to sell you stuff. I have a lot more to save your life. Um, but I also think, to be odd, honest, it's, it's kind of ironic, what you see is many of the people who carry out these attacks don't make a secret of their intent. They're literally advertising on social media, look what I'm going to do. And so some of this is just a question of having those who see this speak up and say, you need to take a look at this. And so we need to have a strategy for diffusing people who are beginning to exhibit the signs of becoming extreme. And you actually made me think when you just said um, something about saving lives. When I think about Americans and, and we love our freedom and we, we want to keep it, it seems like Americans will be open to that kind of rhetoric, right? Because we have that in our regular laws anyway. You lose rights when people's lives are at stake, Correct. right? And do you think right. people will be more open? I think people are open if, as long as they understand that there are, is supervision of this. Um, that And generally the way it works in our legal system is, you know, the, the more serious the invasion, the higher the level of approval you need. And, and you need court approval. Um, I know there's a lot of suspicion about institutions now, um, but I also think that we've seen some horrific events, and w people do understand that they want to be able to go to their house of worship or send their kids to school without wondering whether they're going to come back alive. And I, I do think, again, a balanced approach, not going to an extreme, I think would get a sympathetic hearing from most people. 
Secretary Shirtoff, we could go for hours on this, but I want to close with one final question, which is you've, you've done a lot of interviews. What do people not ask you enough that you think they should be asking you? Wow, that's a really hard question. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> um, you know, I, I guess I think it's, you know, to talk a little bit about my, my perceptions about um, the strength of this country. Because I do think this country has a very strong rule of law, a very strong fidelity to the Constitution, um, and a very strong sense at the community level of our obligations to our fellow citizens. And one of the things that's a little bit of a shame is a lot of our political discourse has been federalized. It's been made about national things. Um, but actually where you really see American spirits is in the small towns and the communities where when people actually interact with each other, they are, are humane, they're respectful. Even if they disagree, they can help each other. And I think we need to get back to those roots. That's really the strength of the country. An optimistic, an optimistic message to end on. Secretary Chertoff, thank you so much for spending a little extra time with us after having that great conversation on stage. And we hope we can do it again sometime. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks a lot. Great question. What happens when you cross the 43rd president, late night sketch comedy, and compelling conversation? The Strategerist, a podcast born from the word strategery, which was coined by SNL and embraced by the George W. Bush administration. We highlight the American spirit of leadership and compassion through thought-provoking conversations. And we're reminded that the most effective leaders are the ones who laugh.